It's been a while, but it's always a pleasure to have Congressman Max Rose. Actually, I should call him Congressman Menachem Rose. That's a name that that, that I like. Does anybody else call you Menachem, Congressman? <laughs> you know, just, just my father once in a while. Okay, so we got to get into the habit. I think in all your campaign literature, can I suggest it should say Max Menachem Rose? You, I, I always follow your suggestions, my friend, so long as you, next time you let me bring my father onto the radio show as well. I'd be delighted to. In fact, I'll tell you... Introduce you to the, introduce you to the whole family. I'd love to. But I'll tell you a quick story. When uh, when Al Gore was running for pre- Al Gore Jr. was running for president, we had his father on the radio, Al Gore Sr., who was from Texas. Senator, right? A great. He was really a very. He was actually live. He was a great, great person. So somebody calls him from Brooklyn, from Borough Park, and says, "Senator Gore, with a Hungarian Jewish accent, I want to tell you about a great son you have. You should have a lot of nachas from your son." He goes, "Thank you for that." Then he goes during the commercial. He goes, "What's this nachas boy?" <laughs> So, true story. True story. So I'm happy to have your uh, your father, but I'm sure he knows what Nachas is. So I didn't expect yeah, Senator. Only, Al- only, only in Brooklyn, man. Only in Brooklyn. That's phenomenal. So first of all, Happy New Year to you. How did you celebrate Rosh Hashanah? Absolutely. Uh, my friend, as well. Uh, and was happy to uh, observe several services actually in my district. Uh, both in the South Brooklyn side, as well as on Staten Island, and then uh, got to share some really tremendous moments with my wife and my newborn son. Mazatov. Um, thank you, thank you. So that, you know, this was our first one together as a family, so it was really, really beautiful. What's your son's name? Miles. My, and his Hebrew name? Benjamin. Benjamin. All right, that's that's a great name. So great to have that for the start of the new year. So I know that now that uh, we're in the thick of things and things are heating up on all fronts, and you are involved in a re-election bid. Am I correct in assuming this is this is a nasty re-election battle that's taking place? No, no. Look, it's it, 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 it's a it, it is it's a it's a race. That's all. That's all that this is. But what my opponent is doing is waging just a classic campaign of distraction. That's all she's doing. She's waging this campaign of distraction, trying to point to this shiny object or that, because for two plain and simple reasons. One, she wants to distract from the fact that she has been an ardent supporter of of raising property taxes, an ardent supporter of, com- of big pharmaceutical companies who led the opioid epidemic, fueled the opioid epidemic, them getting tax cuts. In order, she, she's waging this politics of distraction because during the height of the COVID pandemic, she focused on figuring out ways that we can do hospital cuts when in reality we had to figure out ways while I was activated in the National Guard helping to stand up a COVID-only facility on Staten Island helping to figure out ways that we can fight this pandemic. So that's all that this is. I don't blame her. She's never accomplished anything, legislatively speaking, in her 10-year assembly career. But ultimately, I believe in a politics that is truthful, not negative. And I will run on my record, my record of being a proud supporter of Israel, my record of being a proud and ardent fighter against anti-Semitism, not just domestically, but worldwide. And my proud, proud record 
of being bipartisan, standing up to both parties, willing to stand with the president when I believe he was right, and getting stuff done. Now, look, she's trying to paint you as being a tool of the left. You're trying to paint her as being a tool of the right. So it, it seems that we're so partisan. How how big of a factor is Donald Trump in, in this congressional race? Because in Staten Island's more conservative parts of Brooklyn are more conservative parts of them are very progressive. So how important of a factor is the, is Donald Trump in this race? Look, look, look. Nobody owns my district, okay? It's not a Trump district, just like it's not a Rose district. People vote for the person and not the party. I am not, I'm not trying to paint Nicole as anything. What I am trying to do, though, is tell the truth about her. She has never been willing to stand up to her own party. In fact, laughably, the last time that she was willing to stand up to this president was when she was running for mayor in 2017. And at that point, when she was trying to woo liberal voters in Manhattan, she said, I can't think of one thing that this president has done well. She supported sanctuary city policies during that race. She hated the border wall. And now that she's running for Congress in a different district, she loves everything that the president does blindly. And I promise you that if tomorrow the president announced that he hates Israel and doesn't want to support Israel anymore, she would blindly support him in that, too. She would go down to the southern border herself and build the wall. So it, it, it is ultimately something that is not rooted in substance. When the, when the Republican Party wants to raise our property taxes, she supports them. When the Republican Party wants to give big pharma companies a tax cut, she supports them. It, it does not matter what they say or do. When they tell New York City to drop dead and stand in the way of state and local aid assistance, she supports that, despite I, the fact that New York City needs a life now, I don't. I don't think the president is going to be anti-Israel in the very or in the near future. I don't believe it's going to happen. Nor, but, nor, nor do I, my friend. Nor do I. <laughs> right. He said, "Good there trigger." Is, there is no chance of that. There is no chance of that. I would agree with you. Now, w- what about as far as the UAE and Bahrain? You know, that seems to be a very good thing that we have relations in Sudan. Maybe next, maybe Saudi Arabia. No, it, it is a very good thing. It's a very good thing, and I'm sick and tired of the Democrats just opposing this president blindly, even when he does the right thing. I'm leading the resolution in Congress to support this accord, to express Congress's support is a bipartisan resolution. You know, the Democratic Party can't just be blindly and reflexively anti-Trump just because he's in a different political party. When the president announced his executive order on anti-Semitism, I stood up behind the president of the United States and applauded his actions. When the president killed Qasem Soleimani, an Iranian terrorist who had blood, the blood of over 600 dead soldiers, U.S. soldiers, on his hands, I was one of the few Democrats to support this president in his, in his actions. And to vote accordingly on the floor of the House. When the president moved the embassy, when the president did his actions on Golan Heights, again and again, I believed that he had done the right thing and was willing as a Democrat to say that. We have to have bipartisan, strong action when it comes to our foreign policy. Because that's how we project strength across the world. People knowing that America can be united when it is the right thing to do. 
So what's going on? Because your fellow Democrats, anything that Donald Trump does, they're against. It's like the old Groucho Marx song, whatever it is, I'm against it. So do you get flack for standing up with the president, let's say on Jerusalem or the other issues, from fellow Democrats and constituents? Of course. Of course. And guess what? I don't care. I don't care because it's country first for me. You know, when I, when I deployed to Afghanistan, when I deployed with the National Guard during COVID, and I served with people in uniform, and I served with our doctors and our nurses and our first responders, they put the country first, they put the community first, and we should do the same. Okay, so who cares if you get some, some flack from your own party? It doesn't kill you. Okay, I've been to a real war. This is not a real war. No one's going to, you know, the, the consequences can't be that bad. But for some reason, Nicole is unwilling to stand up to her own party about anything. Nothing. Blind allegiance. And to me, that's wrong. Now, what do we do in New York City where you have felons on the streets and you have a revolving court of justice? So New York... I know I know this is more of a local issue, but the fact is New York seems to be deteriorating. People are fleeing, especially in Manhattan, Staten Island. I'm sure more people are probably staying put. But other parts of the area, including parts of Brooklyn, people are leaving. What's going on? So, a few things. One, and I say this as a Democrat, Bill de Blasio is the worst mayor in the history of New York City. That is a statement of fact, not a statement of opinion. Now, with that being said, we cannot take Bill de Blasio's failures, although we should be holding him to a higher standard and pushing him, pushing him constantly on both sides of the aisle to develop a real testing strategy for New York City, to partner with businesses to rescue our city, not chase businesses away, to generate more tax revenue, to actually make government work, to work on developing sound public safety policies that aren't abandoning and defunding the police, but investing in our policing. Now, with that being said, though, none of those things should be cause for the federal government in Washington, D.C., abandoning New York State, abandoning New York State. And that, by the way, is what is happening. Okay, I exist in reality, my friend. I'm so sick and tired of the political brinksmanship. It's B.S. B.S., plain and simple. If you stand opposed to a strong influx of state and local aid from the federal government, that directly translates into less cops, less firemen, less essential workers. It it, it directly equates to less resources for New York City, which means that it is harder for us to get the job done. And that, to me, seems wrong. It seems absolutely wrong. Now, where do you stand on... The fact that the Republicans and the president are going to put forth a Supreme Court nominee, uh, probably within the next, uh, very shortly, um, and the Democrats are opposing it. They're going to say they're going to stack the courts with more people, and it's going to be a whole game changer. What's your position on that? Yeah, yeah. So, look, I, I stand with Mitch McConnell from 2016. Okay, I do believe that this close to an election, it should be decided by this next election and those who are elected in this coming election and installed in 2021 should complete the confirmation process. That's very simply what Mitch McConnell said in 2016, and so many of his colleagues said in 2016, and it is something that I think we should remain consistent on. Now, with that being said, though, I am not of the belief that should the Democrats 
take the reins of power, we should be stacking the courts and upending institutional norms. Two wrongs do not make a right. We have to figure out a way to bring some semblance of normalcy back to the American political system. We have to figure out some way to take the pressure off so much of this. Now, that may mean uh, you know, establishing some type of 16-year term limits for Supreme Court justices so there's more consistent appointments being made. These are ideas that we could very well be entertaining and analyzing and exploring. But I don't agree with some of the more radical and extreme solutions to such as packing the court. Congressman Max Menachem Rose is our guest, Congressman Staten Island and parts of Brooklyn. You know, what I find interesting is that the Republicans last time around when President uh, Barack Obama was president, uh, they voted uh, that, that they should, you should withhold a Supreme Court nominee until after the election. But all the Democrats say, let's do it now, from Barack Obama to Joe Biden. It's all on tape. So everybody reversed course. So it's interesting to see how it all plays out now. The Democrats are taking the Republican position of four years ago, and the Republicans are taking the Democratic position of four years ago. So I think nobody's really being consistent. Well, look, it is, as I said, it is of my opinion that Mitch McConnell is being, and his colleagues are being especially hypocritical right now. Remember, they were the ones that carried out this action in 2016. I wasn't yet a congressman, but uh, they were the ones that did this. And we should, and the American people deserve this close to an election. This close. 40, what, 45 days or so for us to early voting already occurring? for us to remain consistent in that regard. It is, uh, I think, an unabashed act of hypocrisy. Now, in the last election in New York City, including Staten Island and Brooklyn, there was chaos on Election Day, and some races weren't determined to later on. There were kings, there were people who mailed them ballots, and they couldn't vote and disenfranchise, and that's on a city level. I don't see it getting any better. So are we in for chaos on Election Day, in your professional opinion? Look, first of all, in my professional opinion, it is important that we collectively and in a bipartisan manner put out the message that it is safe to vote in person. And it is safe for people to also exercise their their right to carry out early voting, which is a relatively new opportunity in New York City. With that being said, for those who still feel unsafe, whether it is due to personal considerations or otherwise, the opportunity for absentee balloting should be one that is pervasive, and uh, people could be, and it should be enabled to do that should they so choose. These are circumstances that we have not really ever encountered in New York City or in the country. What I do know is that on the election night, right, as the results are coming in, or the next day when we're waking up and looking at those results, there is a chance in New York City as well as across the country that the election that may not yet have been determined. And at that point, we have to stand up and say we are not Democrats, we are not Republicans, we are Americans first. Americans first. Let's allow for this process to play out. Let's arrive at a sound result that is nonpartisan in nature, and then let's unite around it and finally, for once, the country first. How do we do that? Because your colleagues, both in the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, don't seem to be having a bipartisan message. Well, I, it, it, we have to start electing leaders and retaining those leaders who are putting the country first. Look at what we just did for COVID relief. Okay, 
I'm a very active member, a leader in an organization called the um, Problem Solvers Caucus, a coalition of 25 Democrats and 25 Republicans. And as we saw for COVID relief, the Democratic leadership and the Republican leadership digging themselves into their trenches, we came forward and put forth a bold and nonetheless bipartisan package, a bipartisan framework replete with extended unemployment aid, replete with uh, state and local aid, replete with aid for education and child care. And it was one that Democrats and Republicans were signing up for, not because we thought the bill was perfect, the framework was perfect, but because we thought it was the right thing to do and we were uniting and compromising. That is the type of attitude that we need more of in Congress. Now, how would you rate, for example, the Democratic nominee for president, Joe Biden? It seems like he's a nice person, but when he speaks sometimes, it seems like he's not focused, he's not there. Um, is that a cause of concern? Because some people say, I like Joe Biden, but his best days are behind him. He's not really up look, to the I, role. Look, I, I have endorsed Joe Biden. I do believe that he is the better candidate to get us past this era of divisiveness and vitriol that we can engage in more bipartisan action. And as I have said continuously during this interview, to actually put the country first. But I will not, under any circumstances, should the Biden-Harris ticket win, under any circumstances, would I, I will not have blind allegiance to them. They step out of line, whether it is in the fight against anti-Semitism or support for Israel or any other matter of critical importance to myself, as well as to the district that I represent, I will have zero issues standing up to them. And directly to your question, that Joe Biden is by no means perfect. By no means. I have never been one to stand up and say that he is. But I do stand by the fact that I do believe he's the better option. Fine, before I let you go, this is a hard election season, the campaign. You can't go on the campaign trail like you normally would. So how is it like, how are you reaching out to voters, and what are you finding out there? We, we have certainly made an effort to be available and present when it comes to mask distribution and meeting with people, whether it be safely in person uh, or uh, virtually. But it is clear that as much as the world changes, certain sentiments remain consistent, and that is, and the leading one of that is utter disgust with our politics, disgust with politicians, and we see it at the city level who are seen captivated and motivated by uh, you know, social media, shifting it according to the whims of social media, angry with hyper-partisanship at the national level where people's blind allegiance to party outweighs their dedication and commitment to country. And it is changing this form and substance of politics that remains my life mission and something that I will remain committed to so long as I am breathing. We appreciate your being here with us. I want to take this opportunity once again to wish you, Congressman Max Rose, Menachem Rose. What's your wife's Hebrew name? Uh, Sarah. Sarah and Tubinyamin. Uh, great uh, biblical names as well. So thank you for being with us. We look forward to having you back again. And uh, best wishes to you and your family during this new year. And I want to thank our producer, Usher Tylon, for putting it together. So thank you, and thank you, Congressman. Okay. And we're going to be... By, by, the, by the way, by the way, my friend, are you there? I'm sorry? Uh, uh, just to, to close out, you know, my, my wife 
um, would also love to have her on. She, uh, she is still continuing her evolution, learning about the Jewish faith. Um, we, uh, and it, it would be wonderful to have her on and to meet you and things along those lines. Uh, so I, I would appreciate having her come on. I'd love to have her come on, and I want to have your father come yeah. on, too. Absolutely. You know, my wife, my wife was raised in an Italian household, so she's still learning about the Jewish faith. And I, uh, I would love to, to have her on to continue that, that education process. Thank you. We'll speak to our producer, Usher Talbot, we'll try to arrange for that. That would be fantastic to have you on the air, and the family as well. So we look forward to that. So thank, thank you for... You. Thank for, you so much. Uh, thank you. We look forward to that, and we're going to be right back.